You're listening to The Uncrucified, a fanfiction written and narrated by author Angela R. Sasser. This is an unofficial fan work which takes place within the exalted second edition setting created by White Wolf and Onyx Path Publishing. Entry 5. The Last Night Before our eyes, Dinas Reed has raised itself from mud and sticks to wood and brick, weathering armies in invasion like the oldest mountain stone. It grows as life will on the old bones of a great city that once toiled beneath our feet. My pristine guild weaves a golden thread through it, tying outpost to outpost, smithy to baker, heart to heart. Only now do I understand the power of this golden web. Like silk, it seems fragile, but holds strong the fabric of creation. I realize now how little I understood about this balance as a young woman, fresh from school and full of plans and ideals. I could only see a small part of the weave, and attempt to pluck at it without any knowledge of how everything beyond my small vision changed when I did so. Despite entering the academy with an unorthodox educational background, I graduated top of my class, even managing to gain the respect of a few of those poor, jeering souls that had tormented me upon my first arrival. With my father's sponsorship, my membership to the guild became a surety. And then I learned the special kind of torment that was the droll, mindless monotony of working as a clerk in the administrative branch. I tried to remind myself that every scribe and clerk had to pay their dues and earn their keep to become a factor before our voices could truly be heard. Instead, the reality was a self-perpetuating system of seniority and complacency that kept the administrators where they were and the young, eager clerks toiling away in shackles of paperwork and drudgery. I made friends in mutual agony at the branch, but I knew in my bones this life was not my place in the world. Aaron would be my savior again by allowing me to become the head of operations for his excavations and shops, expanding my reputation even further than the administrative branch as a sharp-eyed manager with shrewdness that equaled my father's. If there was one thing I learned about the world then, it was that reputation meant nearly as much, if not more, than skill and financial backing. For as much as my father trusted me, however, one fear kept me awake at night. I had complete control over the approval and arrangements of his caravans. I would be responsible for every coming and going. I had every accounting in my ledger and knew exactly the formula of our profit versus projected loss, calculated risk, and profit margins for every product in our stores. However, when it came to hiring labor, I couldn't bring myself to pretend I was someone who hadn't walked those streets as a slave only a few years ago. I couldn't look away from the sluggish husks of the dream-eaten the whipped legions offered up like day-old trash when I went recruiting. Would Aaron really and truly allow our profit margins to suffer because I chose not to hire the cheap, easy labor? I hated myself for doubting, but I couldn't help but think that it was one thing 
to liberate a slave girl whom you had grown fond of, and entirely another to risk your profits for faceless dregs you didn't even know. The night I finally confronted him about my business plan involving the season's caravans, after many days of avoiding the conversation, I prepared my papers in defense of our more expensive labor to an insanely tedious degree. Aaron listened quietly, rubbing his chin thoughtfully, as he usually did, while I talked myself in circles about every defense for the reason why I chose to hire the laborers I did, and how we could make up for the loss with several other tediously organized contingencies. Finally, I felt his hand on my shoulder, the depths of my discomfort dawning on him. Kalara, he said simply, the sternness of the way he said my name made my words stick in my throat. I expected the worst to come next. I ask you to become my head of operations because I trust your judgment, completely. He smiled that small, content smile, until a fit of coughing took him and he had to go looking for a handkerchief. When he could finally speak again, his voice wavering a bit from the exertion of it, he said, Besides, I'm getting older. You'll eventually take the entire thing over, so I can spend my time completing the maps I've been meaning to work on all these years before I'm too senile and blind to finish them. As he always did, my father reassured me through his actions that his love for me wasn't false. My love for him only grew over the next few years as we worked together to retool his business. An untested philosophy led us down a new path together. Slaves, or those who had been sold as permanent employees as I had to avoid morality laws in some of the anti-slavery territories, were converted to employees with wages. Many of the workers were happy to stay on even when offered their freedom. Our profits waned only slightly, but stabilized as we moved our investments and streamlined certain processes. We did the unthinkable, and survived. The rumors of our senility and the gold-digging ex-slave woman whispering in his ear only spread, however. That didn't stop our business from being successful. Aaron, after all, was considered a merchant prince long before I ever came into the picture despite his eccentricities. It was only his wish to remain independent and unfettered that he had not pursued the position of factor, despite being more than eligible and capable of it. Even with the controversial nature of his business restructuring, his grand innovations and incorruptibility drew the eye of the guild directorate. Rumors spread like wildfire that he was a prime nominee for their ranks. I was ecstatic for him. Even if my father seemed quiet and thoughtful on the matter, those maps and retirement were waiting for him after all, but I saw a grand opportunity. He was in a position where he could spread our newfound philosophy and business structure in a wider capacity. What would I have been without the freedom you gave me? I had asked him. Imagine how the world might change if you could only show them that they don't have to fear it. I urged him on with the passion and free will he had gifted me, that he had nurtured with unwavering faith and love in me. Together, we drafted the business plans and documents that laid out the proposed structure of a labor branch of the guild. We compiled countless proposals on new cost-saving measures and practices for businesses willing to make the change. Together, we mapped out the profit projections, fluctuations, and numbers based on our own first-hand experience. Enclosed herein is an excerpt from the speech he was to give once elected into the directorate and allowed the right to propose changes. I wrote it for him, my heart pouring onto the paper while my mind raced at the possibility of changing the world. 
even if I was only the speechwriter. Colleagues, friends, merchants, craftsmen, we have all come together in this place, pioneers of the paths of creation, and with a sense of self-governance and innovation instilled in us by our great founder, Brim Marst. It was he who first drew together the tangles of feuding merchants, families, and rebels into something grand that would connect creation in a way it had never been connected before. We stood with the rivers, as strong as ever, and as resilient against the scarlet empress's advances as a castrated monk. But time weathers us, like this old man growing soft in the midsection. We allow complacency and fear to keep us from acknowledging the problems in our long-lauded system. Even today, the people whisper of our hypocrisy, of how we aid the Fae by buying and selling the sad husks of our own people, the same Fae who would devour creation and destroy us all. We turn a blind eye to legal loopholes that allow us to bind unfortunate souls into servitude, just so we can pretend to have our pretty morals. The people distrust us at every turn, and we have earned their ire. We say we abhor these deplorable practices, and yet we turn a blind eye and count our coin. My esteemed colleagues, we should not be afraid of solutions. We have already changed the face of creation. We can do so much more if we have no fear and believe in what we can achieve together as the most powerful mortal organization this world has ever seen. My solution is real and proven by the success of my endeavors. We can return to the wisdom of our founder. We can be pristine in all things, as it should be. My friends, the only obstacle is our own fear. To be sure, many would have been offended by some of these accusations, even if they were true. Thereafter would have followed hearings on these proposals, countless hearings, endless debates, but maybe, just maybe, a small change might occur, then another and another, like droplets of rain before a deluge. If I had known the night before the vote would be the last night I would talk to my father, I might have said something different to him. I might have told him how much I loved him, how much I owed him how much he changed me from a servant to someone who could forge her own future. But as it happened, the last words we spoke, I nagged him about taking his medicine and reassured him that the meeting would go well as long as he remained the dry, sarcastic old man that I had come to love. I was so naive to ever believe that fear wasn't as powerful a force as love. <laughs>